Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you all here this morning. Uh, my name's Nick. I'm one of the elders here. And um, we're carrying on our series from the book of John. Now, John uh, was one of Jesus' disciples, and uh, he was one of the uh, 12 disciples that followed Jesus around. And um, John uh, wrote this, the account of Jesus' life, uh, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, so you can read uh, the story of Jesus through the book of John, and we're going through that as a church over the next few months. So we're in chapter one still, and uh, today we're going to be looking at a man called John the Baptist. Um, nothing to do with John. John's writing about John the Baptist. Now, um, if, you, if I were to say to you um, to think about the most unusual person that you've ever met in your life, now this is not the moment to turn to your husband or wife and say, I think that's you, my love, <laughs> okay? <laughs> do it after the service, okay, and we'll uh, sort, sort it out. Um, but we're, we're here introduced to probably one of the most unusual people in the Bible. There are lots of unusual people in the Bible, but this man takes the biscuit. Now, John the Baptist was called by God, and he was preaching in the Judean desert wilderness, and he was baptizing people in the River Jordan. And uh, he, was, he was preaching, get ready for the Messiah, get ready for uh, the anointed one who's going to come. Now, he wore camel, the Bible says that he wore camel clothes, he wore a leather belt, he ate locusts and honey, sounds like a restaurant in Camden in London at the moment, doesn't it? And uh, he, he was an unusual man, and uh, it says in, in some of the accounts in the Gospels that his mum and dad um, were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah was a, a priest, Elizabeth, uh, it describes as a righteous woman, as a godly woman. And uh, she, 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 he was actually born of a miracle. Elizabeth was barren. And uh, an angel appeared to Elizabeth and said, you know, you're going to have a son. It was about the same time that uh, Mary, uh, the angel appeared to Mary. And they were, they were friends and they knew each other. And as Elizabeth came to visit Mary, it says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And uh, he was called to serve God. He was called to declare and get, uh, make people ready for this Messiah. He was fearless. He was inspiring. He spoke the truth. And uh, he also upset the religious authorities. Uh, he upset the king, King Herod, who was like a puppet king under the Romans. To, so much so that actually it led to his death. And it says that when he was killed, his, his head was presented to Herod's wife on a plate. This man had a, uh, an interesting and varied life. He obeyed God. And it, it, the account says that when Jesus found out that John the Baptist was, had been executed, he took himself away and mourned and was extremely sad about it. So we're going to read now John's account of this man, John the Baptist. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read from verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, No, I'm not. And they said, Well, are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Well, who are you then? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. 
Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John, John answered them, Well, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, uh, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen him and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So what was John all about? What was going on in, the, in this story? What, what, why was he preaching and why was he baptizing? Well, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, a saviour, an anointed one. In Greek, um, Messiah is, is Christ. So Jesus Christ is Jesus the Messiah. And uh, they believed that this Messiah would come and restore the fortunes of, of Israel that he, this Messiah would come and, and save them from their sin and evil, would restore their land again, would come and look after and protect them. And uh, the spiritual authorities were always kind of radar on, always looking for, is this Messiah coming? And so they had heard about this man, John the Baptist, who was baptizing and, and uh, telling people to repent in the wilderness. And so it's as if they thought, right, we need to send someone from head office to go and find out what is going on here. So they sent some serious guys. They sent some priests and Levites. Now, the priests and Levites served in the temple of God. And at the, at the time, there were two main religious groups. There were the Sadducees, who were like the kind of liberal lot, if you like. And then there were the Pharisees. And these guys were serious. The Pharisees were the experts of the law. They knew God's law, God's ways, like the back of their hands. If anyone was going to sniff out the Messiah, these men sent from the Pharisees would do the job, okay? And so, like all good auditors, has anyone been audited at work before? Yeah, okay, I can feel your pain. They had a really good checklist, okay? Question number one, who are you? And John had heard the rumours, and he had heard what people were saying about him, and so he said straight out, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And he was quick to add, I baptise with water. But among us, among you, crowd, you know, he was saying to the crowd, stands one whose strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So they said, okay, question two, are you Elijah then? Some Jews expected that Elijah would come before the Messiah. No, I'm not. Question three, so are you the prophet? And uh, this is a reference from a verse in Deuteronomy about a prophet coming before the Messiah. No, I'm not. And so they, they were struggling here. So they got to the sort of, you know, 
the box where you can put any answer you want in, okay? So what do you say about yourself then? And John answered in the kind of language that only a Pharisee would understand. He quoted from the prophet Isaiah, who had been hundreds of years before Jesus. And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And in quoting Isaiah, John the Baptist was saying, get ready, people. Get ready, because the king of kings is about to visit his realm. And in telling the Jews to turn from their sin and repent, he was saying, not even your spiritual heritage, not even the fact that you are descendants of Abraham will save you. We are all in need of a saviour. He was preparing their hearts and minds, saying, get ready, ask for mercy, ask for pardon, because when the true Messiah comes, you will need it. And in baptising, John the Baptist explains to the Jews, God spoke to me, he says, and told me to baptise. And as I baptise, I will know when the Messiah comes and who he is, because the Holy Spirit will descend on him and remain on him. And in other accounts in the Gospels, you read how that when John baptised Jesus, the Holy Spirit came in a form of a dove and settled on Jesus, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who, with whom I am well pleased. And for centuries, the people of God had heard prophecy after prophecy about this Messiah coming. And John the Baptist was, if you like, the final prophet who was declaring, this is the start. This is the start of a new age, a new covenant, a new promise. Things were going to change once and for all. Jesus, the Messiah, had arrived. He was saying, look, he is standing among you in this crowd he was saying it to these people, get ready for this man, this Messiah, Jesus. So what does this new age, what does this new age look like that, I've, that I'm talking about? What does this new covenant, this new promise look like? Well, there are two key statements that John makes. And I want to unpick those a little bit this, this morning. The first statement is, behold, the Lamb of God. As Jesus came towards John, he cried out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in, in the Christmas story, you would have heard these famous words. Whether you've been to church a lot or not, you would have heard these words. In Matthew, um, he quotes from Isaiah, Behold, Mary the Virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. And up until the, to this point, the vast majority of God's people had only known an external religion. They'd known a religion of following God's laws and regulations. They'd known a religion, they'd known forgiveness of sins only via a sacrifice made in a temple by a priest. This wasn't personal, this was done for them by someone else in another place. They had only known a religion of being able to communicate to God via priests and prophets. They had only, from time to time, a few people had been filled with the Spirit of God to fulfill certain purposes and roles, and things were changing now. Emmanuel was with us. God was with us. And throughout history, there were, there were prophecies, tantalizing glimpses of what was to come, what God was going to bring through Jesus, the Messiah. The prophet Ezekiel declared hundreds of years before Jesus, he said, I will give 
them, my people, a new heart, and I will put my spirit within them. It won't just be every now and then, it will be all the time within them. The prophet Joel, hundreds of years before Jesus, declared, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, God says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. What do these, prof- what do these prophecies mean? Well, they mean that things are going to change. Things are going to change when Jesus comes. Things were shifting. In God's salvation plan, this was not about external law-keeping religion anymore. This was not about trying to look good religion. This was not about following rules and regulations just to keep God happy. God is saying a Messiah is coming and he will turn things upside down. I will give my followers new hearts to replace your old sinful hearts. God is promising that when the Messiah comes, he will pour out his spirit on all men. Not just a few, but all of us. He will put his spirit in us as his followers. And our relationship with God is going to become very, very, very personal. Very personal. Because God will dwell with us through his spirit. And I hear the the clever ones amongst you thinking, well, how can this be possible? (laughs) Isn't the Bible clear that all people have sinned and fall short of God's perfection? How can we seriously be forgiven? How can we be, made, be, we be made so clean internally that God's spirit can dwell within us? Under the old way, each day priests in the temple in Jerusalem, they would sacrifice a pure, perfect lamb, and that lamb would cover the sins of the, that blood would cover the sins of the people and keep them from the wrath of God. And the key in this new covenant is this, is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, a perfect lamb had come to die in our place, to willingly take our punishment the sin that, uh, for our sin that we deserved. He, he rose again, victorious over death, victorious over sin, so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can know forgiveness of their sin and is covered by, the, by his righteousness and can know eternal life. And as a result, we enter in to this deep, internal, personal relationship with God and because his, his spirit dwells within us. It's fundamental change. And this is why John cries, behold, the Lamb of God. He's coming to save us, to make this personal. And then he adds, who takes away the sin of the world. It's more, it's more than just that. Because this wasn't just for the Jews. This was for the whole world. Do you know that God delights in family? God delights in fellowship. God delights in togetherness. As we heard last week from Tom, We worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Trinity, the Father enjoys the Son. He loves being a father to Jesus. Jesus loves and honours the Father. And the Father and Son enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God chose to share this fellowship 
that he has in the Trinity with us, his creations. This is wonderful news. We get pulled into this. We have been made in the image of God. Us as humans are designed for fellowship. Men, women, husband, wife, children, grandchildren, friendships, families. And when sin entered the world, what happened? Well, Adam and Eve, they turned stupidly, don't ask me why, from that fellowship with God. And it wasn't just fellowship with God they broke, it was fellowship with each other. If you read the accounts, they, they, they realised they were naked and they hid from God and they hid from each other. They were ashamed of each other. But God loves us so much. He invented family, he invented fellowship, and he couldn't let this stand. So he sent Jesus to bring us back to relationship with him and to bring us back to relationship with each other. This isn't just about us and God, this is about us as a church, as a family. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes about how in Jesus we are one new man in Jesus. From any background, any tribe, any race, any tongue, any age, any gender, any social background, anyone can find peace with God. God has no favourites. Whatever our background, we can call God our Father. We quite simply, amazingly, miraculously, we share in the unity and the fellowship of the Trinity. We become family. And this is demonstrated now through the church, now, and it will be demonstrated for eternity when one day every tribe, every tongue will bow before Jesus in heaven. I, sometimes I say, my friends say to me, so what did you do at the weekend? I say, well, I met my Nigerian friend. I then spent some time with a friend who's a shepherdess. I then, um, you know, went for a walk with someone who, who does admin you know, well, I'm, trying, I'm struggling to think of examples here. And they look at me sometimes and they're like, how, you know, what sort of life do you lead? You know, how do you know all these people? Well, it's just a picture, isn't it, of the church of Christ, the wonderful church of Christ, the family that we are drawn into, the trinity that we're drawn into. We all have different gifts, different backgrounds, different experiences, different paths, different histories, different cultures, different races, but we are all unified, aren't we? By Jesus, by Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the whole world. It's wonderful. Statement two that John said is, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And as followers of Jesus, as we've heard, he's changed our old sinful hearts of stone and given us new hearts of flesh that know and respond to him. He's poured out his spirit on us. And we now have deep connection with God the Father by his spirit. And to help us understand this a bit more, what I want to do for the rest of this time is I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has poured out on us? The Holy Spirit is not some mystical force that gets us out of a tight spot. Okay, it's not like Star Wars or Harry Potter. You wave a wand around and, you know, you can move that to there. No, that's not it. Get that out of your head. He's not a lesser power from heaven that God wields when we need help, like a token gesture. 
You know, while God remains distant, he sends the Spirit. No, that's not it. The Holy Spirit is not a divine milkman who delivers a bit of power in the mornings and then we run out and then we have some more in the following morning. The Holy Spirit is a real person of the Godhead who we can get to know, we can understand, we can talk to, listen to, learn from, enjoy spending time with, and also the Bible says we can grieve. The Holy Spirit works to bring new life into us. Physically, in Genesis, when it describes that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters and God breathed life into the world, it's the Spirit of God, God's breath that breathed life into this amazing universe. The Holy Spirit was there, brings life spiritually to us when we become Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus. The Spirit awakes our souls. He gives us new life. He opens our blind eyes. He makes us realize our sin. He calls us to the Father. He wins our hearts back. When I became a Christian, I was six years old, and I was reading a children's version of a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And in that book, this man is walking through life. And as he's walking through life, he's picking up all the rubbish that life throws on us. Discouragements and hurt and pain and uh, things that, are going, that have gone wrong. And you know, all these things happen to him. And then he comes to the cross of Jesus. And as he looks at the cross of Jesus, this burden falls off his back and he's free. And I was, as I was reading that when I was a little kid, I started to cry. I remember being upset. And my mum came up and said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've got a burden. I need to deal with it. I want to know Jesus. Now, that's a sweet story. But it's not, but, you know, an aside, please tell your children about Jesus. They're never too young. They understand Children can be convicted of sin, okay? It's a sweet story, but what was happening there? Well, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. The Holy Spirit was opening my eyes. The Holy Spirit was drawing me into new life with Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, when we put our, give our lives to Jesus, Paul describes to the church in Corinth that we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy, the, the, through the person of the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. It couldn't get any more intimate than that now. It's so intimate. The psalmist writes, where can we go from your spirit, O God? The Holy Spirit never leaves us as followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's personal presence in us means that we get to, to enjoy his own intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Son. You hear that? We get to enjoy the Holy Spirit's own relationship with God the Father and God the Son as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's incredible. He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. Sin makes us obsessed by ourselves, doesn't it? And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to Jesus. And we start to love and enjoy Jesus. We start to love and enjoy the Father. And we start to change. We start to become less self-obsessed. And we start to hate sin. An example is God's love. God's love for us is generous, is overflowing, is self-giving. That's how he loves you. He loves you with a generosity, with a, with a self-giving that you will never understand. And as we spend time with God, 
we get to be like God and we change and we become more like our Saviour. It's the opposite of self-obsession. In my own life, I've known this. I've known people that I previously could not stand. (laughs) Suddenly, I just have a sense of love for them. I just think, I don't know why, but I feel sorry for them. I, I want to love them. I want to help them. I want to talk to them. I want to mend things with them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit changes our affections. The more we spend time with God, the more we delight in him and delight in his ways. It's obvious, really, isn't it? It's not, it's not mystical, it's logical. The more you spend time with God, the more you will want to be like him and delight in his ways. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We want to start doing what he wants. We hate the thought of upsetting him. The Holy Spirit empowers us for mission. Our Father in heaven is an outgoing Father. He's a fountain of love and life. And as we share in this love relationship with the Trinity, it's like we become a chip off the old block. And we want to share. We want to be outgoing ourselves. We want to share that love that we've experienced with others. Now, this isn't about extroverts and introverts and all that stuff. I'm an introvert, okay? (laughs) But... I want to share my, the love that God's given me and shown me with others in my introverted way. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the overflow of the heart speaks the mind. And that, that was, Jesus was rebuking someone when he said it. But the principle stands, doesn't it? That as you spend time with God, as you enjoy your relationship with him, so you just can't help telling others about it. The Holy Spirit empowers us for mission. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to finish by this thought. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In um, Acts 19, the story, the book of Acts is the story of how the early church started and then grew and expanded across the then known world. And in Acts 19, we read the story of how Paul um, visited the believers of Jesus in Ephesus for the first time. And as he was chatting with them, he worked out that they had repented of their sin. He worked out that they had put their faith in Jesus. And he worked out that they had been baptized in water. Okay. But Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, what? Holy Spirit? Who's that? They didn't know who it was. They said, well, we've been baptizing like John baptised in water. And so Paul teaches them. He says, well, actually, that was pointing to Jesus, the Messiah coming, who would baptise us with the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit brings closeness and intimacy with God and power to live our Christian lives. So I want to ask you the same question here this morning. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know where you are with your walk with Jesus. But when you gave your life to Jesus, when you became a Christian, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then, secondly, Jesus promised us, just before he ascended to heaven, he said, when I've gone, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses too. And he named a number of places. So I'm going to add Ipswich and Woodbridge and wherever else you, Felix Stowe, wherever else you live. Jesus never intended us to be left alone when he ascended to heaven. He told his followers to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit finally came, you can read about it in the book of Acts chapter 2. The story of what happened is incredible. They went from a timid, quiet, infighting, scared worried bunch of fearful people to an outward-looking bunch of people who spread the good news of Jesus fearlessly, who preached, who saw thousands saved, who saw people healed, people set free, (laughs) demons cast out, who built churches all across the known world. These people were transformed by the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit's filling as Christians. Without him, we're powerless, we're graceless. We're dry. We're just striving. We're not intended to live our Christian lives without the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. God breathed Scripture. God's breath breathes Scripture. The Holy Spirit breathes Scripture. The Holy Spirit opens the Word of God to us, helps us understand. I just want to say this. We were talking about, I didn't say this in the first service, but I really feel I should this morning, that there are people here who are struggling with lies about themselves. There's a verse in the Bible, I think it's in Ephesians, that says, take captive every thought. Make it, like, uh, take it captive. Push it down. Don't let it. Take possession of the thoughts. And I just feel God wants you to do that to this morning. That there are lies, you are listening and believing lies about yourself, and through the Holy Spirit's power, God wants you to hear the truth, understand the truth, and apply the truth to your lives. God, through the Holy Spirit, he reminds us of who we are. It says in Romans 8, verse 16, that God's Spirit connects with our spirit to remind us that we are children of God. He emboldens us. When I was 12 years old, I was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And then I just couldn't stop telling my friends about it. And it's not a coincidence that two or three of my school friends became Christians. The Holy Spirit emboldened me. The Holy Spirit convicts us. When you, you know, something doesn't scan on the machine and you walk out of the shop and you think, I need to go back and pay for that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. The Holy Spirit guides us. Psalm 23, it says that God leads us in paths of righteousness. It's not rocket science. The Holy Spirit guides us in paths of righteousness. What does God want for your life? The Holy Spirit glorifies God through us. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and connects us to the Father in heaven. Would the band like to come up and we can start playing something in the background? (laughs) We're going to spend some time praying for each other this morning. And asking God to come and fill us with his power. If you feel dry this morning, or if you know that you actually haven't ever been filled with the Holy Spirit, then we want to spend some time praying that that God fills you with his spirit this morning. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5 verse 18. He says this curious phrase. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this verse... Um, was 
culmination of a number of verses where Paul was reminding the, the Ephesians of the amazing change that has taken place when they became Christians, how they became new creations in Christ. He's saying, be imitators of God. Love each other. Don't allow worldly attitudes to influence you. Be imitators of God. Walk as children of light. And you can't do that in your own strength. He's saying you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to help you live godly lives. And he gives a very practical example. In, the, in their day, people used to drink, get drunk, in excess to give them courage, to give them strength, to give them the words. It's not any different today, is it? People do that today, don't they? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I love a bottle of beer and I love a glass of wine. But the principle is we do not get our strength from worldly things. We don't get our Dutch courage or our courage from beer or wine or what our identity is in this world, what people think of us, what people say over us. No, we get our identity, we get our courage, we get our strength, we get who we are through who Jesus has made us as new creations in Christ, confirmed to us by the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what Paul is saying here. And there's a sense that we need to be continually filled. The Holy Spirit's ongoing filling, refreshing, sustaining us throughout our Christian walk. Don't get dry. There's a man called William Tyndale, who some of you may have heard about. He translated the Bible. He was actually martyred for doing it. And this is what he said. I love this, this quote. He said, where the Spirit of God is, there is always summer. <laughs> I love that. The Holy Spirit warms our hearts at salvation, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit continues to warm our hearts in a deeper and more intimate knowledge and relationship with God the Father. Jesus said these words in John. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, the good news is, this morning, is that Jesus has been glorified. Jesus died, he's risen again, he's ascended on high, he's seated in all authority and power, and so now is the time for the Spirit's filling. So let's stand... <laughs> And if you are thirsty, if you are dry this morning, put your hands out. Come and talk to, talk to each other. If you feel that there's, if you want to be prayed for, pray for each other. And Jesus said, come to me if you're thirsty. So come to Jesus. Jesus said, drink. So open hands, open heart. Be ready to receive. Come with faith. Don't be passive. Ask. Ask for, in faith for Jesus to fill you. And uh, as we were, we're going to spend some time singing, worshipping, and I think Tom's going to come up a bit later, and we're going to spend some time just praying for each other. And uh, there were some words in the worship where people were feeling that maybe God has been speaking to people with prophecies and different uh, encouragement. So if, that, if that's you, then I would, and you're thinking, I can't do it. Well, be filled with the Spirit and come and share these things with us. Let's step out in boldness today through the Spirit's power. Let's be refreshed. Let's be refilled today. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, come to the front. 
and we would love to pray with you. We're going to have some, can the prayer team come and stand at the front here? Get ready for that. And we would love to pray with you if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit before. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that you are the Lamb of God that has saved us and has made, have made, has made it possible for us to know God. You have made us righteous. We are accepted. We are loved by you. We have been filled with the presence of God, with the Spirit of God. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, come and refresh us now. Come and fill us afresh. And if there's anyone in this room who has never had the filling of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and meet with people this morning in power. We pray for uh, gifts of your gifts, Holy Spirit, to manifest and to show, uh, to come, manifest in people this morning. We ask you to come and meet with us this morning and fill us afresh. Amen.